Welcome to Bible Study Today. We have a really interesting study to share with you on this theme about how that uh, we need to care for the underprivileged in society. The title of these series is The Least of These. And we have a panel of four today, and we're very happy to welcome you back, Helen. Would you like to greet the listeners this morning? Yes, good morning, everybody. And we have Ken. Yes, it's great to be back here again. And Brenton. Always happy to be here to be able to share God's word with our listeners. And I'm Len. But today, Helen, after a period of being away for a while, is our facilitator. So, Helen... It's over to you. Thank you, Len. It is indeed a delight to be back. I'm very excited, and I hope we all are through this study. It's going to be an interesting study. Uh, in the fact, it's going to encompass a word called worship, and uh, we're going to explore some avenues this morning as to what worship means, um, what do we worship, and the difference between different worships. But from the time of prophets to modern day Christianity, various forms of worship have existed. Some people use the word worship to describe a particular piece of music or to describe some sounds. And similarly, many Christians consider their Sabbath or Sunday morning services to be worship. Everybody worships something. But I'm going to throw it open to the panel. And um, before we do, we're going to ask Brenton, would you pray for us, please? Certainly. Wonderful Father in heaven, creator and redeemer, we thank you that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we study together, I pray, Lord, that you'll guide us in our study today in everything that we do. Amen. Thank you. Right. Um, panel, I'm going to ask the question, what do we mean by the word worship? Somebody on the panel got some thoughts? We can use the word worship in a very general sense, like somebody might worship their car. In other words, they give all their time, effort, well, not all of it, but most of their time, effort and affections to their car. Well, I'm not like that. My car needs it clean. <laughs> but um, uh, the same thing might be with a person. Um, I've heard it said in movies and things, I worship the ground that he or she walks on. It, it means to hold in the highest esteem and the values and the activities of that person are directed toward whatever it is or whoever it is. Yeah, thank you for that. I think uh, an, another form of worship would be perhaps sporting teams or sporting personalities. Yes. Oh, yeah. A lot of people spend heaps and heaps of time following teams or or uh, certain uh, sports people and uh, spend a lot of money on buying their gear and products that they advertise etc etc so it's almost like there's something in us that wants to worship yes yes mm -hmm. i think the uh, word worship means worship whatever it is that you're worshiping needs to be worthy of worship and um the study today is worship the creator mm -hmm. so why would we worship the creator because he created us therefore it puts him in a unique position if you like to use the term that we use a lot today in society he's at another level because he is in fact the creator okay we're going to us. come back and discuss more mm. on that but thank you yes right. i just want to pick up something from what you said helen 
Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I did not remember when I did my teacher training. But I do remember the um, lecturer who was lecturing on psychology saying that everybody has to worship something. And, well, I've forgotten most of the other things, but I remembered that bit. <laughs> I prompted a memory. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you, Lane, for that. I tend to use very visual things, and I know I can't over the radio. And uh, if I had a whiteboard here, I would probably put the word worship up on the board. And I wrote down for my own information, actually, but I'd like to share it. What do we mean by worship? And if you think of the, the letters of the word W-O-R-S-H-I-P, to me it means being wholly focused. It's an obstinate love. And this can be in the secular area or mm. in the religious. Mm. It's r normally relationship orientated. It's service motivated. On an object of our love, we are immersed totally in it. And you just have to go to the footy ground to <laughs> see that. And we want to purchase it at any cost. Mm. You know, and in the Christian era, of course, it prayer comes into that as well but I've seen people I've seen people so and I'm not picking on sports people please don't think that but we all get passionate about things don't we and I guess that letter P could be passionate some people get so passionate about what they are into that if say it's a, a game a footy or a cricket or whatever if their team doesn't win they're impossible to be around but if the team wins and it's your boss you can go and ask for a raise and they'll give it to you gladly <laughs> you know what i'm saying mm. okay sorry i yes. think they're still impossible to be around <laughs> well that's possibly true and we could be the same but let's look at the second question what or whom do people worship now you've mentioned some things is there any other things that you can think of what or whom do people worship well, i was thinking of film stars yes notable people like film stars royalty the interesting thing is when some famous person like a princess or a famous film star has a particular hairstyle or a type of clothing there are so many people who like to have that hairstyle or type of clothing there's another aspect of this too referring back to footy teams or teams where merchandise is sold people like to identify themselves with those particular teams and so they'll buy their merchandise and you see uh, people going to the football wearing their scarves their beanies their uh, jackets and so on identifying themselves with that team and I think this is part of worship to identify with who or whatever it is do you see that sometimes, Len, in the Christian scene where you'll see people that wear crosses? Yes. Um, you know, Same thing. And, but I, I was saddened one day. I saw a lady with a, a cross around her neck, and I, I just went to her, and we were talking, and I said, you're a Christian? She said, no. I said, but you're wearing a cross. She said, oh, I think it's pretty. And mm. I thought, what a pity. What a pity that she didn't know the meaning of it. Yeah. But again, let me share with you. I, I wrote another, um, used the word again, worship, onto what or who do people worship. And mainly, you know, I was thinking it's worldly fame people want, they worship. It's objects like cars, toys, games, homes, etc. Rock stars, um, sports and athletes, heroes, idols, images, and some people even worship power. You know, they want it. But what is the point of worshipping some of these idols or objects? What is the point? 
Can they help them? Can, well, can, can I go back to number two just briefly? Yes. Um, one of the things that is very much worshipped these days, I think, because people that by and large don't worship God, they worship their own opinions. Uh, you listen to uh, all these TV shows and that sort of thing that are generally... We hear the term, we need to have a conversation mm. about a particular issues. There's nothing wrong in itself intrinsically with conversations, but conversations is Len's got his opinion, Ken's got his opinion, I've got my opinion, you've got your opinion, and no one's opinion is right or no one's opinion is wrong. But in essence, we're really saying that the, the opinions we hold are the most important. Whereas God says, I want you to have a different focus. Mm. I want your focus to be somewhere else. That's a very good point. Thank you for that. Okay, so there really is no point worshipping idols or images, <coughs> is there? I mean, in, in Scripture it mentions how they um, cut down a tree that was used for shade and what have you, and they burned some of the wood. And then in, in the days of the children of Israel, they would then carve from that very same tree an image Book of Jeremiah. Yes, thank you. Mm. And and could that image do anything for them? <laughs> no, absolutely nothing, which is really sad. And, um, yeah, I think, um, Len, you had something to share with us. Throughout the Bible, God's people are urged to worship God. But we are also repeatedly offered reasons for doing so. We're told to worship him because of who he is, what he's done, and because of his many attributes, among these are his goodness, justice and mercy. When we are reminded of what God is like, what he's done for us, especially in the cross of Christ, and what he promises to do, none of us should ever be without reason to worship and praise God. That's a very, very good point, isn't it? Well, I'm going to good ask statement. you the reason. Now, none of you should be without a reason to worship God, so I want to hear from the panel, each one of you. Why do you worship God? I, I think, Helen, if I was to get on to that subject, we'd probably be here in the next hour and a bit. But uh, apart from uh, you know, God being who he is, over the years God has done so much for me. I've had so many miracles in my life that is just... I just don't understand it. Or I really do not understand it. But uh, God has done so much for me, so... Uh, apart from uh, Jesus and what he's done for us all and myself, uh, just what God has done for me alone is just awesome and definitely a case to worship him. Mm. Thank you. Wonderful testimony. Benton? There's a, a lot I could say about why I worship God, but I'll give you one reason that um, is becoming more and more clear to me as time goes on. One of the reasons I worship God is not only because he created me, but in worshipping God in the way that he asks, I have a sense of security. Now, we live in a very insecure world, so having a sense of security is brought about by worshipping God in the way that he's asked us to worship him. That's a point. Yes, thank you. Len? Well, there are a host of things why I worship God, and to identify just one of those, I've always been very interested in science, and... One of the things that I have a lot of trouble with, trouble in trying to understand why people accept it is the theory of evolution. It just does not make sense to me, and the practicalities of it are that it's an impossible situation. So one of the reasons I worship God is because he is the creator, my creator, 
he gave me life and uh, that's a good reason to worship him well thank you Len that's so so true in fact that's something I've got down in my notes too um, why I worship God and, and I actually picked three but like you've all been saying we could spend a long time saying and, and like um, Ken I've seen God work in many many ways not just in my own life but in the life yeah. of others Helen but, could I just make a quick comment on that Yes. there is a book available and our listeners might like to uh, make inquiries as to where they can get it from called Journey to the Supernatural by Roger Morneau. Roger Morneau was a young man after World War II who was about to be initiated into a devil worshipper sect and it's interesting that the um, priest, the high priest of the devil worship always referred to God not as God but as the creator whenever he talked about what the spirits, the evil spirits and Satan said about God, it was always the creator. They never referred to him as God. And I think that's quite an interesting comment. That is interesting. Mm. That is interesting. I have read the book. Yes, Mm. yeah, I have read it. Um, Let me just mention three main points that that I jotted down. Um, Worship him for several reasons. One, yes, he is the creator. God created all (coughs) things. The planets, the galaxies, the stars are all works of God. And above all, when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we are the image of God, not necessarily in how God looks, but in his character. That's what we should be. We are made in his image. And also, number two, he loves us unconditionally. That blows my mind. You know, just, just security, doesn't yes, it? just blows my mind. Regardless of how we feel towards Him, and despite our prevailing circumstances, God loves us immeasurably, and He has a plan for our future. We are told. And the third one, God is faithful. God will remain faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to him. When we stray, he will try very earnestly to lead us back to himself. But there are there are verses in scripture that give us good answers too. So let's have a look at Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 22. I'm reading from the King James Version, verse 17. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow, and loveth the stranger in giving him food and remnant. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. He is thy praise, and he is thy God, that hath done for thee, great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. Thy fathers went down into Egypt with threescore and ten persons, and now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude. Wow, did you notice all the points there? There was about six at the start that jumps out. It says, God of gods, Lord of lords, he's mighty, he's awesome, unlimited mercy, he's a helper, he's our hope, and he keeps every promise. Absolutely amazing. Okay, let's let's talk just a little bit more. Psalm 101 verse 1 gives us another one. I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. It's interesting in this verse, um, the psalmist, who happens to be David on this occasion, is actually reflecting on the fact when he says, I'll sing praises to you, O Lord, he's actually referring to God as mercy and justice. Yes. As uh, characteristics of God. Yeah. 
And isn't that something we can praise God for too? He is just and merciful. Mm. Wow. Just, just backtracking to the one that um, Ken read in Deuteronomy. Yes. If you look at the the social aspects that Moses is talking to them about there, had they been faithful, faithfully followed through, and if we faithfully followed them through today, I wonder what lessening of crime in our society that would be. <laughs> looking after the poor, looking after the needy, the fatherless, the widow, mm. all the rest of it. I would suggest there might be a significant reduction in the crime that we see in society. Yeah. I think it's a case of putting self aside, isn't it? Okay, let's move on to the next text that we've got. Psalm 146, 5 to 10. I'm re- I would uh, like to share this with you, and I'm reading from the New International Version. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. And I would just like to pick up something here. It says at the beginning of these, um, this group of texts, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope in the Lord is God. Brenton said something before about with, uh, with something he really appreciates is security in knowing the Lord. And I feel that very much too. Things can be falling apart all around you, and yet when you have the have the Lord in your life, you can have peace. Although there, there's troubles and these troubles will affect you, but you don't have to go to pieces just because of it. You have a an anchor, I suppose you could say, for your life. Yeah, it's what is termed in scripture as a peace that passes understanding. Mm. Takes over. I remember an incident in Papua New Guinea when we were um, having to land and we had no landing gear locked in place except one wheel. And I, I remember at that time the incredible peace that I felt. You know, they had the fire brigade there and the you know ambulances and everything, and they had no idea this was a, a twin-engine Aztec, and they had no idea whether it would stay. Um, you know, up or whether it would nosedive it was very heavy on the front and I can remember that I just felt this most incredible peace just, just washed over me yes. and I was so calm that it didn't matter whether I lived or died mm-hmm. and because of that my son <coughs> who I was cradling in my arms he too was at peace and it's it's a piece I've experienced a couple of times in my life, point, and it, it is a security. Mm. It really is, and I thank you for sharing that too. But there was eight things that jumped out at me again from this text when I first read it, and thing and these are definitely um, helps us in in our praising of God. This text, Psalm one forty six five to ten. He is creator, he is sustainer, he is helper, he is a hope filler, he is a promise keeper, he frees, he opens and he lifts. Mm. And there are many more. Let's have a look what Isaiah 5.16 has to say on the same vein. Uh, Verse 16 here we're reading. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment and God that is holy 
shall be sanctified in righteousness. So from that, Ken, would you agree that he's just and holy and righteous? Well, I think anyone reading through the Bible would see that God is always the same. He's a God he changes not, and his ways are straight, and judgment is in his way, is in his hands. Mm. I couldn't help myself the other day when I was looking at these texts, and again out came my whiteboard at home, <laughs> and I used the word worship, and I and I from these texts I wrote, okay, well if I was to use that word to worship him. I would look on him as being wonderful, omnipotent, redeemer, sustainer, holy, helper, hope filler. In his image, he created us and all things. He's a provider and a promise keeper. Lots lots of acrostics. Yes, yes, you can see I'm very visual, (laughs) can't you? And you can't do that on the radio. (laughs) And I I think that's really good because you've obviously been thinking quite deeply about this subject. Yes, yes. One of the uh, things which came up last week and is uh, occurring again this week is about God's justice. And I always have in the back of my mind that God is not just. And I'll explain myself here. I think you need to, Len. (laughs) (laughs) It's like this. I have done some things which I admit are wrong. And yet I haven't been treated according to what I've done wrong. I've been treated with not the justice that I deserve. God has, if I was treated as I should have been, I would be in um, a lot of trouble. However, God hasn't treated me like I should have been treated. And in that sense, I say that God is a God of not justice, but he's a God of something else. He's a God of mercy. However, that doesn't mean to say God is not a God of justice. Uh, it's just a little That's thought that yeah. I've toyed around with mm. in my mind. I guess the justice thing. part comes in, of course, when you look at um, Jesus being sacrificed for us and that, you know, when we've turned our life over to God, he has taken that on him and fulfilled the justice, if you like to put mm-hmm. it that way. But thank you for sharing. That's great. Can... Sorry, did you want to say something? One of the very hard problems you find in in ministry that I have found is in encouraging people to place their problems in God's hands because it seems to me as though they want solutions to their problems, but it also seems as though they're not willing to leave their problems in God's hands and let him sort them out. They keep wanting to take them back. They keep coming up with another idea or whatever. And it's very hard to talk to a person and say, look, I don't know the answer to your problems, but I know somebody who does, God. But you need to leave your case and your problems in God's hands and let him sort them out. I totally agree with you, but I think we're all being guilty of this in our well, lives. I've been guilty You know, that God takes the steering wheel and we think we're about to we hit something, so we grab it back instead of trusting him. Tell me, panel, are there a difference? Is there a difference between an idol and God the creator? Look at the fact that if you know God, and this is, I think, part of the problem of the world today, so many people don't know God, including Christians. He is a alive being, a real being, a supernatural being. But idols, as we know, should it be a car or a football team or, or whatever, really can't do anything for you. No. But God can. And as we know, the Bible tells us all these things will pass away, but God the Creator will not pass away. 
for he is alive and well and eternally he will be here forever and ever. Mm. Yes, Lynn. When you you mentioned the word idol, I was thinking of a pop idol. What can a pop idol do for you? Well, (laughs) it might make you feel pretty excited or something like that. But really, when we worship God, it's a two-way situation. God is not just up in his ivory tower looking at us poor struggling human beings here on this earth. He's willing to get his hands dirty, if I can use a colloquialism, mm-hmm. in order to help us. Yes. He's, he's not an absent landlord, so to speak. No, that's a good point. I think, so, Leon, that's a really interesting point. I think one of the things I'd like to bring up here again, and I have mentioned this before, but I do think it is important that God loves everybody, not just Christians, not just those that supposedly worship him. He loves everybody, Mm. and he's doing his absolute best to try to get everyone on this planet to realize that there is a God, that he's an amazing God, and he wants to help them in every way possible and eventually lead them to eternal life. Mm. Mm. Reminds me of the song um, that we often sing called The Wonder of It All. Mm. You know, it's a wonder that Jesus... Loves me. There is another another aspect here, Helen. I think yes. in this point that we haven't touched on, the difference between an idol and God. Uh, there are several places, not only in the Old Testament but also in the New Testament, where the either the psalmist or the prophet or Paul says things along the lines of, "An idol can't see, can't hear, can't talk, can't act." There, All of that, the things that, that God so true, does that really yes. brings down the, the difference between an idol to and God to personality and personhood. An idol is not a person and it doesn't have a personality. God is a person and does have a personality. So there's a difference between. Okay, the some some people would argue with one of your statements saying an Probably. idol is not a person because you know they idolise, as we say, movie stars and that and their people. But what what um, intrigues me is when people turn to me and say, "Oh, but you idolise God," and I think to myself, "There comes that word idol." Mm. You know, I'm passionate about God. Sure. Yes, absolutely passionate. And if people want to look at that way, yes, but you can't just stop at the fact of an idol, you know, as we mm. say, an inanimate mm. object or a person, but they're not God. They are not God. Yes, we might look at God in that way, but God is just super... I can't even get the words out. Mm. <laughs> you know? he, he's just above mm. all. But if you, you know? go back to what Len was saying about pop stars and about, uh, again, I think mentioned sports people and that sort of thing, the people that uh, idolise them, so to speak, often these are very, very poor role models oh, yes, for other yes. people. And very it's not, it's models. actually, it's an idolising part, but it's, it's not a worship as we see worship. You know, mm. there is a false worship. And there's a true worship. Would you not agree? Mm. And I believe the worship, you know, towards God is a true one. Mm. But we're going to look at that. And, and can somebody give me a definition of what true worship would be? Well, again, Helen, I think true worship is where you are looking at something or someone and you're not trying to get anything out of it, but you admire or worship that thing because it does something good for you or helps you or or uh, you know looks after you in certain ways or has done something for you 
Thank you. I can't believe how the time is flying already. Thank you, Lynn. I, I think what Candace said is very important. Yes. yes. And I like it. However, I'd like to add this. Um, I think true worship is the worship of God, our Creator, Redeemer, God. Anything apart from that, I'd have to regard as false worship. Yeah. That's a very good point, and thank you. I just jotted down a, a few notes um, before we came today, and I just said, true worship leads us to salvation and puts us right with both God, the Creator, and our fellow brothers and sisters on earth. True worship makes us live as one, one family in Christ, showing compassion, mercy, and love to one another. True worship includes how we live our lives on a daily basis. How we relate to God and humanity is an important part of worship. And what we do on the outside must reflect what we are within. In the act of true worship, we exalt God and acknowledge that he exists. The essence of work, worship is an inner, authentic experience of the heart. And Christ confirmed this in the New Testament. Let's have a quick look at it. John four twenty three and 24. For the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, now what that text there. is not saying is that God is some sort of ethereal being that has no body. What it's, what it's saying is that and when you compare it with some of the other texts that we've had over the last few weeks in our Bible studies where God, and where we come to it again today, Helen, uh, where God says, I'm sick of your sacrifices and your offerings and your bowing yourself yes, down to me. It, it actually makes me want to throw up, to use a, a current phrase. Mm. Uh, what Jesus is saying to this woman at the well here is that the time has now come where really the only people that God will accept are those who worship him in spirit, meaning that your whole spirit, your whole mind and your whole body is involved in the act of worship. They're the things that God wants to worship, not the externals, the internals. So sadly, not all worship is true worship, as Jesus said. Mm. And the sad part is, you know, it's we're talking here too about Christians as well, yeah, you yeah. know, in, in churches. In fact, there is a good text, uh, Matthew 15, verse 8, I think it is. Len, have you got that? Yes, I do. Thank and you. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. Mm. And in verse 7, he calls them, You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And this was a very provocative text for me as I was considering it this week for this study, the going to church, the, uh, the forms and ceremonies of going to church may not necessarily be worship. Uh, Jesus is pointing out here, their hearts are far from me. And as I see it in this context, that worship is a reaching out to God not just a going through various Emotions. various things, yeah, prayers, just. singing, this, that, the other. Um, and that's what uh, the, the Jews had made a uh, made that their worship, which wasn't really worship. They were going through all these things and it's so holy to do this or that or the other, when in, in fact it wasn't. Yeah, it reminds, thank you, Lynn. It reminds me you know, of a little poem I learnt when I was a child in Sunday school. 
and it said some go to church to take a walk, some go there to laugh and talk, some go there to meet a friend, some go there their time to spend, some go there to doze and nod, but the wise go there to worship God. I like that. And uh, there's probably a couple of extra lines I've forgotten, but that's not bad from how many years ago. But it's very true, isn't it? Mm. So Christ actually, even in the following verse, he called that type of worship vain, meaning zero, nothing. We would use the word today hypocritical, would we not? And as you said, Len, even if we perform good deeds and go to church every Sabbath, if we don't have that intimate connection with God, our worship amounts to nothing nothing. However, amid the different versions of worship, we do need to know what God's idea of worship is. To worship to his standards, we need to understand what God means by worship as well as what he dislikes about our worship. And you know, I'm I was stunned when I was reading through this week. God uses very strong language to ridicule religion and worship that is disconnected from and in contrast with the suffering and oppression of those around us. And I'd like um, to look at Amos, please. Amos five twenty-one to 23. Ken, would you have that? Sure. I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melodies of thy voice. I took the liberty of going and having a look at the message translation and to me it put the scathing words of God delivered through these various Hebrew prophets into language that cuts closer to home for good church going folk today and Brenton would you share that with us please same text Mm. I can't stand your religious meetings I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals, I'm sick of your fundraising schemes your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Well, that kind of puts it right in in our lap, doesn't it? Well, let's have a look at another text of um, how God looks at it. Jeremiah 7, 4 to 7. Yes, I'll I'll read that. Thank you. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave your forefathers forever and ever. Brenton, oh, sorry, you want to say something? I was just going to say how that... um, Following on from those verses that Brenton and Ken read, God doesn't want just forms and ceremonies. God wants our hearts. Absolutely. He, he wants our, All affect, our hearts. affections mm-hmm. and our interests and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's so true. Brenton, would you share that with us from the Certainly. message, please? Don't for a minute believe the lies being spoken here. This is God's temple, God's temple, God's temple. Total nonsense. Only if clean, up your act, the way you live, the things you do, only if you do a total spring cleaning on the way you live and treat your neighbours, only if you quit exploiting 
the street people and orphans and widows no longer taking advantage of innocent people on this very site and no longer destroying your souls by using this temple as a front for other gods. Only then will I move into your neighbourhood. Wow. I think I'd, I'd like to add something to that, Brent, in, in case the listeners aren't too sure. <clears throat> God's not only talking about the days 6,000 years ago. He's talking about today and where we are. Nothing has changed in that area. That is so true, true Ken. Ken. That's why we bring it into a modern translation, mm. you know, to, so that we can see this is where we're at. But, you know, maybe we need to revisit Isaiah's critique of the people's religion that we looked at in our last study. And that's in Isaiah 1, 13 to 15. Okay. Starting 13. Bring no more vain oblations, incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am ve- I am weary to bear them. Wow. No, and, and when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yes, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. It's interesting how he calls it. It yeah. is iniquity, isn't it? It's very Renton, give <laughs> us the modern version, please, from the message. I like this. <laughs> Quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games. Monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. <laughs> I can't stand one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, 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 while you go right on sinning. When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or how often you pray, I'll not be listening. (laughs) Wow, wow. I mean, look, I don't believe that God is saying don't have any meetings or what have you. They're important. Mm. But he said, get your focus right, people. You know, you're having these things, but you still go on sinning. And so, therefore, is your worship acceptable to me? No. And I think we need to be quite aware of that. You know, in these... Oh, I'm sorry, Len, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I was going to say this. Going to church is not necessarily worship. No. No, it's not. You can go to church and your thoughts can be totally elsewhere. Mm. Just yeah. just by going to church does not mean you're no. worshipping. No. But does that mean we shouldn't go to church? No, it doesn't mean that at all. <laughs> church should be a place where people are drawn to be closer to God. Absolutely. Mm. And Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, God explicitly linked the call, uh, linked worship with the call to do justice. Did he not? Yes. He and did. he made it clear that it he does did. not make sense to do one without the other. So... Let's have a look. In his word, God had given specific commands about how he wants us to worship him. We've, we've just read how not to, so now we need to look at the other side. The commands show that the form and style with which we choose to worship God must match his standards, not ours, but his standards. Yeah. So let's yeah. read what he has to say, Exodus 22 to 6. All right, Exodus chapter 20. Mm-hmm. Verse 2 starts by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers 
to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Mm. Mm. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Can I just pick up something here? Yes. God calls himself a jealous God, and jealousy is often seen as a negative emotion. But you know, it's not. You see, I'm jealous of the love of my wife. I'm jealous because I love her and she loves me. And I want it to remain that way. God is jealous because God knows perfectly well that when people serve him, they will be best off. And so for him to say, I am jealous, I want your allegiance, I want your worship, is not him being greedy or anything like that. It's because the best is available for human beings as they link their lives with God. Mm. And God knows that. I, I agree with what you're saying there, Len. I believe his jealousy is for us. It's a selfless jealousy, oh. if I can put it that way. The human jealousy that we have is a selfish jealousy. You know, we don't want something, you know, to come between this and that. This is ours. This is ours. But God says, if you will do these, just imagine if the whole world did exactly what that text said. Mm-hmm. You're right. The crime rate would go down. People would love each other, you know. I guess I guess we're probably not going to see that until the, the Lord comes completely. But you know that's 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 something that we need to attain through the Spirit, isn't it? Okay, so let's turn to the Book of Isaiah, and that's an incredible book, Isaiah. It's called the Mini Gospel. I think there are sixty-six chapters in it. Is there right. not? Right. Yes, and let's look at Isaiah fifty-eight verses six and seven. Okay, reading from uh, verse six. Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? It is not to deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house when thou seest the naked that thou coverest him and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Let me just elaborate a little bit, and I should have said this before you read that, Ken, but thank you for doing that. In verses, the criticism that's addressed to people who are active, actively religious, and verses 1 to 5 shows us what went wrong in the relationship between God and his people, and it spoke about the fasting that the people performed. However, God says that we should try changing how they worship, to try a different way of serving God, and it was good counsel for us too. And you have just read Isaiah 58, 6 and 7. And I noticed there are eight doing, what I call doing words yes, in, right. in there, you know, that we are to do. Okay. And you might want to go back and look at that in your quiet time. But even if we have only a little, it might be more than someone else has. And God calls us to be generous with any resources that we have to those who need help. And, you know, Isaiah 58, 8 to 12, then God promises something. In Isaiah 58, 8 to 12, God promises blessings in response to this form of worship. In effect, God is saying that if people were to be less focused on themselves, they would find God working with them and through them to bring healing and restoration. 
very good statement, that yeah, one. That I think. is. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. We're only that. talking mm. about that last night. I'm on a committee um, now in the Adelaide Hills for an ADRA shop, um, op shop, um, and we were discussing the needy in this particular part of South Australia and the manager of the shop was focusing on the fact that there were two areas that he particularly wanted to to uh, reach. Believe it or not, in an area, and I won't name where it is, but it's in the Adelaide Hills area. It's an area I would have thought would be fairly affluent. He said there are a lot of homeless people in this area and also a lot of people who are unemployed. And they're two of the key areas that we're trying to target with our... Um, our op shop. In other words, we're trying to put into practice what we're reading about here this morning. And he is, Great. I can see he is passionate about reaching not only those groups in society, but others as well. Brenton, for those that don't know the term ADRA, what does that stand for, please? Adventist Development Relief Agency. Thank you. Thank you. And I like the way that you said, you know, you're following what God actually asked. Okay. Um, Jesus actually... <coughs> taught that if anyone wants to be first then he must be a servant first I think we've got a text on that Lynn have you got a text on that? Yes. Thank you um, We're looking at chapter 9 of the Gospel of Mark and verse 35 and this is what Jesus said if anyone wants to be first he must be the very last and the servant of all now we were talking about this last week we were talking about leaders who want to get all the glory and adulation and so on. And we use the word a servant leader. For anyone who wants to be well thought of, he, it's not just to heap the praise on himself, but it must be a, um, an outflowing. Most of you would know what the Dead Sea is. The Dead Sea is the end of the River Jordan. And it's very salty. Very. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I've seen pictures of people floating there and if uh, they get, they have to shower later on and their skin gets affected badly by it. You can't sing in it, sink in it, Len. No. <laughs> you can sing in it, but you can't sink in it. You can sing in it, but you can't sink in it. Okay, <laughs> all right. Um, but the point is, somebody who wants to get all the adulation for themselves is like the Dead Sea, good for nothing. However, if there's somebody who wants to do well and is helping other people, it's like a living lake where water comes in and water goes out. Mm. So the point is, I think the world's best people, the ones who are remembered most, are remembered because of their services to others. Yeah. Mm. They're I, not stagnant, are they? No. no. Can I add to that? I, yes. I often think, particularly in our society today, the true measure of greatness of a person is the ability to be able to help a maximum number of people without beating their own drum. That's, yeah. that's a good comment as well. In other words, yeah. they're doing what they're doing behind mm. the scenes and they're really not worried whether people are praising them before it or mm. not. They're simply doing it. That is actually harder to do than it yes. sounds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm. Jesus was confronted. He is our greatest example, isn't he, on this? And he was confronted by some of the religious leaders of the day. They criticized him because he was eating with what they called sinners. And he gave us a quote in uh, Hosea 6, 6. 
I think it is, as to what he desired, and I think this should be our desire too. Yes, here we're looking at, uh, <clears throat> starting in uh, verse 6, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Yeah, he desires mercy and not sacrifice. I think you've got something else you wanted to share with yeah, us. Yeah, I just Ken. want to read this mm-hmm. little quote. <clears throat> As we will see, Jesus lived a life of caring and service. His interactions with others, his healing miracles, and many of his parables demonstrated and urged that a life lived in such a way was the best way to express true devotion to God. The religious leaders were his greatest critics, but they were the target of his harshest criticism. Like the religious people of Isaiah's day, They believed that they ensured their special relationship with God because of their religious practices, while at the same time they were exploiting the poor and ignoring the needy. Their worship was out of step with their actions, and Jesus was not reserved in his (coughs) condemnation of such hypocrisy. Thank you for that. This is a theme which goes right through the Bible. uh, Listeners, you will have noticed We're picking up texts from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, from the words of Jesus, from the the words of the Father, right through. And I I think of what the Apostle James had to say about what true and undefiled religion is. It's not the ceremonies and it's the time put in for meetings and all that kind of thing. It's the outworking in a person's life that demonstrates their relationship with God. In other words, if somebody is aware of a need, and I'm not just talking about a want, but a need, and ignores it, that that uh, God can't accept their worship on that ground, but worship should change people to make them sympathetic to the needs of others. Yes. But if you go through worship, um, let's say you go to church and there's, uh, you're aware of somebody who's really in trouble, needs some sort of help, whatever that may be, and you ignore it, that worship doesn't mean tuppence to God. That is so, so true, Lynn. Yeah, we need to be good listeners to pick up on some of these things as well. But, you know, it, it, Jesus even went as far to make a comment about devouring widows' houses that they will receive greater damnation. That's in Mark twelve thirty-eight to 40. Brenton, can you explain what that means to devour widows' houses? I think the whole context, Helen, of the three verses, and I'm not going to read them, but he's really talking about the fact that the scribes and the Pharisees, um, they would get widows to give their money to the Lord whilst they would use the money unwisely themselves. And basically they were all about uh, image. If, if you want to use another word for hypocrisy, the Greek word for hypocrisy is one who acts. And I often think when I read about hypocrisy in society, it's talking about the image that people wish to portray. It's not the real person, it's the image, their public persona that's on show. And the Pharisees were particularly good at this. And this is what Christ is doing. He's getting below the surface and saying, you make long prayers, um, you give big offerings, um, you uh, do all sorts of things. You love the best places at the seats of uh, dinner, the best places in the synagogue, 
but he says you're devouring widows' houses. In other words, you're exploiting the poor, the defenceless. And another example of this, and I know our time is nearly out, is when he overthrew the money changers in the temple. If you brought along, if Ken brought along his normal coins, he could not use them to buy offerings for the temple. He had to change them into a temple coin. And the temple coin, that they, it might be, they might exploit it to the level of five times what the other one was worth, meaning they were defrauding the people. And this is when Jesus overthrew the money changers. And right throughout his life, he's really hot on the issue of hypocrisy mm. and the fact that the only worship that I can accept, the only discipleship I can accept is genuine discipleship with the right motives. You mentioned hypocrisy means one who acts. That's let's make sure let's make sure that we're looking at it from the point of view it's one who performs. Yes. You know, not does acts of good but mm. gives that impression, mm. they mm. then impersonate it. Mm. You know, I looked up the New Living Translation on that um, text, and it said here, they cheated widows out of their property and then pretended to be pious by making long prayers in public, which mm. hypocrisy at its best, and they will be judged for that. So that's what you said they were exploiting. Yeah. Okay, let's just before, wrap it all up. Before you do, <laughs> yes, Jesus uh, spoke about how that people had traditions within the Jewish society uh, where they clearly uh, observed the law, or at least they said they observed the law, and Jesus pointed out that they had broken the law about honouring their father and mother. There was a simple thing that they could do. They could say that they would give their inheritance, that is, the mother and father, what... um, Instead of providing for their mother and father, we've got a bit different system these days. They could say, look, I'm giving that to the temple. Corbin, yes. And that simply, uh, then they said that absolved all all necessities of caring for their aged parents. <laughs> Any it's, excuse, huh? It's, Any excuse. It's, it's rotten. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. rotten all right, Lynn. Okay, well thank you for that Um, Len, I think you had one more thing you wanted to add Well, Jesus was quick to add that the religious practices and observance are not wrong in themselves but they should not take the place of treating others fairly Mm, Okay, well I'm glad I'm glad that statement is there but let me just ask a question why is hypocrisy considered such a sin isn't it better to try to look like we are doing good you know fake it till you make it sort of thing if we're trying to make people think well of us we've started out with the wrong motive absolutely um, you can't keep it up forever can you well, I don't know <laughs> I've only tried it a little bit <laughs> however it's the wrong motive yes You do things because of the goodness that dwells within you, not because you want to become popular and and well thought of. When I made the comment, you can't keep it up, I was reminded that when I became a Seventh-day Adventist and kept the Saturday Sabbath, Mm -hmm. my father, who was totally opposed to us, he decided he was going to keep the Sunday like we kept Saturday. And, oh, he tried. He really did try. But his motives weren't right. And, of course, it wasn't very long before he just dropped the whole idea altogether. But for me, it was worshipping the one that I love so much. Yes, Ken? Um, I'd just like to quickly add, Helen, I think one of the important things that many Christians miss out on today or don't quite understand 
is that the, the general population out there who don't attend church don't so much listen to what Christians say, but they certainly watch what they do. That is so, so true. Wow, that is so, so true. We influence whether for good or bad, don't we? Helen, can I uh, give you a quote from a very wise woman? I know we're nearly out of time. Yes. Who said this, The maturity of Christian character is reached when the desire to bless others springs constantly from within. Oh, amen. I think that's what a very, a great very good quote. Thank you. Yes. Wise woman said that. Yes. Len, I think you wanted to do a bit of a summary there. While the prophets were concerned about evil in the land, they were particularly focused on the evil committed by people who claimed and worshipped God as their own. For the prophets and for Jesus, worship is inconsistent with injustice. And such religion is hypocrisy. The real worship that God seeks includes working against oppression and caring for the poor and needy. Thank you, thank you. There is a beautiful hymn in a hymn book. I'm going to ask Brenton if he can just share the words fairly quickly with us as we, and I'd like to just wrap it up at the end. Let your heart be broken for a world in need. Feed the mouths that hunger, soothe the wounds that bleed. Give the cup of water and the loaf of bread. Be the hands of Jesus, serving in his stead. Here on earth, supplying or applying principles of love. Visible expression, God still rules above. Living illustration of the living word to the minds of all who have never seen or heard. Blessed to be a blessing. Privileged to care. Challenged by the needs apparent everywhere. Where mankind is wanting, fill the vacant place. Be the means through which the Lord reveals his grace. Add to your believing deeds that prove it true. Knowing Christ as Saviour, make him master too. Follow in his footsteps, go where he has trod. In the world's great trouble, risk yourself for God. Let your heart be tender and your vision clear. See mankind as God sees. Serve him far and near. Let your heart be broken by a brother's pain. Share your rich resources. Give and give again. Well, thank you. Just to wrap it up, I read of a sign at the exit of a church parking lot as the worshippers left the church to go out into the community and the sign said, Service Entrance. I, like I thought that. that is very, very applicable. And on that note, yes, let's finish off with prayer. There's so much more we could say, but, you know, God wants us to recognize his presence in our lives through worship and to render true worship to him. And uh, let's just finish off with prayer, shall we? I think, Ken, thank you. Heavenly Father, Lord God, it's a real privilege to be here today to share your word. And we know, Heavenly Father, there are many people listening out there we know, Lord, many of them are in different uh, difficult circumstances, and we know many are sitting on the fence. We pray, Lord, for each and every one of these people that the Holy Spirit may find a way into their heart, that they can check out the things of Jesus and know that he wants to help them in more ways than they can begin to understand. We just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, and we praise your name, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.